Our scripture passage today comes from Philippians 3, 7 through 11 and 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. But, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, has, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Amen. Thanks, Kim. Uh, good morning. My name is Jonathan, uh, one of the pastors here at Redeemer. We're in the fifth week of a six-week series on Union with Christ, the New Testament teaching of Union with Christ. You should have received a worship folder when you came in. If you didn't, this week, that would be the fault of the Ellswick Community Group. So, that's my new tagline. If you don't get, we just blame the community group as greeting. Um, should have received one. If you didn't, uh, look on with somebody around you, hopefully, who has one. But on one side is the scripture that Kim just read to us, and then on the other side is the outline. Uh, you'll see it there. Uh, the theme this morning, or what we're going to really be focusing in on, is reconciliation. The word occurs several times in the call to worship, in the assurance of pardon, and then, of course, here in the... The, the teaching from Second Corinthians. Uh, a summary statement of what we have been looking at so far for the last uh, four weeks could be something like this. What goes for Jesus goes for me if I am in him. So we've looked at how we are tied to or united to Jesus in his life, uh, in his death, in his resurrection, and then last week in his ascension. And this week we're going to look at how if we are united to Jesus, then the Bible says his mission becomes our mission, becomes the calling 
on our lives as it was the calling on his life. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5 as kind of a, kind of a grid or a lens to view that through. Uh, I have to remember that only the kids through kindergarten left today. So that means my son, who's nine, is in here listening, which means I have to make this make sense to him. And normally I depend on, well, what he will be in the fourth grade, so I depend on the fourth grade teachers to make things make sense to him, not me. And I happen to be married to a teacher, and she does a great job of making things make sense to him. So pray that this makes sense not just to you, who hopefully understand the words that I'm using, but also to all the children in here as well. Uh, It really is my desire to make that happen. So let's look uh, this morning at the outline. There's three points for you there. Uh, They're all centered around reconciliation. I tried to get three M's, but alas, I couldn't do it. Um, But I I got reconciliation in there all three times. So I was kind of pleased with that. It's the little things that uh, make us pastors smile. Uh, first, the need for reconciliation. That is uh, why we need it. Secondly, the means of reconciliation, how we get it. And then thirdly, the ministry of reconciliation. That is the result of our having gotten it right in our lives. Because Paul says very clearly here, Uh, We have been entrusted with or given this ministry or this message. uh, And as a result, we are ambassadors. And so we're going to talk about that as we go. So first, uh, the need for reconciliation. Why is it needed? How is this idea related to the doctrine and the teaching of the union with Christ? Uh, And how does Paul work it out here? Well, first, let's break down this very long word, reconciliation. It really means something like to bring together again or to reunite. Something that was once together has been broken. And so to reconcile means to make it whole again. It can also mean something like to make two apparently conflicting things compatible or consistent with each other. Uh, And so if you think about a family reunion, you're going to a family reunion because you're reuniting a family that was once one right? It's gotten spread out over the years. You're going to reunite. Uh, Or there's the idea of marriage separation, and you have read or seen where couples get divorced for irreconcilable differences. Usually that's in like People Magazine, because it happens to be celebrities who have irreconcilable differences. Uh, It is the sense of what has separated us can't bring us back together. And so if they were to reconcile, if they were to be reconcilable differences, they could move past them. They could, uh, while they're currently separated, come back together eventually. And then we also use it to describe financial books. You know, we reconcile the checkbook, which is always a fun process for some of us. Um, What's not right in the checkbook needs to be brought together to make it work or balance and hopefully with a black number and not a red one, right? So as you can see in the call to worship and assurance of pardon, one way that the Bible explains the good news of the gospel is that God has reconciled us to himself in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's somewhat of a theme for the Apostle Paul, right? We have an assurance of pardon from Romans. We have a call to worship from Colossians. And we have this passage from 2 Corinthians and Philippians. So it's all the Apostle Paul that we're getting this morning. It's obviously an important theme to him. Uh, But some of you may be wondering, okay, how does that apply if it is something that was once united and has been separated as being brought back together, reconciling, right, reuniting? Well, that speaks to the need for reconciliation. And I want to say, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're investigating Christianity or you're new to Christianity, let me tell you a short, very short story. And it's all of this kind of in a few sentences. So I'd invite you, again, if you're new, you're investigating, what is the Bible about, start on page one, start reading. You'll get a more detailed version of what I'm going to share But it's basically this. God originally created humanity for relationship with him. And it's illustrated in the story from Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve in the garden where they walked and talked with God, much like you would with a spouse or a friend. But because of sin, that union that God originally had with Adam and Eve was broken. We as humans who were once united to God in this intimate relationship where we could walk and talk with him like you do uh, your spouse or a friend, I mean, you realize how intimate that is. We once enjoyed that, but sin changed everything. But the reality is we destroyed that relationship. It's our fault that we have to be reconciled, that we have to be reunited to God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says it this way, Your sins have separated you from your God. It is us, our sin, our fault, our problem that has separated us from the Lord himself. Now, look back at the assurance of pardon from Romans 5 uh, in your worship folder there. The Bible's teaching is that every person is an enemy of God, alienated and broken from a relationship to him in their natural-born state. And it's only, only through the work of Christ that you can be reunited or reconciled, reborn. And so being united to Jesus is only possible because of our being reconciled to God. In a sense, reconciliation is union with him. A reunion uh, in many ways. We need to be reconciled because we were designed for union with him. As Drew prayed earlier, he's the fuel we were meant to run on. He's He's the food we were meant to Uh, feed on and get nutrients from and energy from. Uh, The problem is we live our lives by not the owner's manual, but some other manual that we've made up, kind of our own how to live life manual. And just look around you, read the newspapers, look on the internet, you see that the world lives by this manual. It doesn't work, right? And so being united to Jesus through faith is what brings us back into union with God, reunited to Him, and what makes us truly human. So if you're a Christian, you are more human than a non-Christian. Because you're united to who you were originally designed to be united to and made for. Now, if that's our need, identifying our need leads us to think about how we get it or the means means of how we get it. What does Paul say, if you look at point two there, What does Paul say is the result of coming to believe the truth of the gospel? Well, 
I have to kind of explain the second half of that question in order to get the first half. What's the truth of the gospel? And then what's the result? Well, what I'm going to do is use pieces of the call to worship, little phrases from the call to worship. So look at the call to worship there, uh, maybe in, in one hand, and then take out the insert, because I'm going to focus in on verses 14, 15, and 21 uh, of the passage this morning. But I want to use kind of all those pieces and put it all together to say that Paul expresses a conviction of gospel truth, which is united, excuse me, which is being united to Jesus by faith, and it's this, because Jesus died, and we've been talking about this the last few weeks, because Jesus died, we died. Our reconciliation has come in his body of flesh by his death, as Paul says it in the call to worship. He stood as our substitute, but also as our representative. And Paul says he was made to be and to bear our sins so that we might no longer live for ourselves, doing evil deeds, alienated, hostile to the ways of God, but to live for Jesus instead. He says, we who were at once, excuse me, who were once at war with God, who were once rebellious enemies, are now brought near, and we are at peace by the blood that he shed on the cross. In Christ, we become the righteousness of God, holy and blameless and above reproach, and like Drew said last week, we're holy and dearly loved. Therefore, what, what are you doing? Become what you already are, right? That is great news, considering, or if you believe, that is, that you need to be reconciled to God. And the way to him is through the work of the Lord Jesus. So the means of our being brought back into relationship with God or reconciliation is Jesus himself. And the result of being reconciled is a new life with a new master and new priorities. Uh, One very well-known verse that comes out of this passage is verse 17. It's one many of you have heard before. Uh, And Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is this, I once was this, now I am this. So, he says, not only is the truth of the gospel, because Jesus died, we die, we are reconciled through his death, he was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, but he says, there's a new control mechanism in your life. If you look at verse 14, in particular, in in our passage, he says this, for the love of Christ controls us, Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says the love of Christ controls us when we become convinced that Jesus and he he alone is the means by which we are reconciled and reunited to God. The word Paul uses is translated to compel or to control or to urge on. It can mean something like to hold together, as he describes Jesus in the call to worship. All things hold together in him. What holds me together as a Christian is the love of Christ for me. 
It's what constrains me. It's what moves me on. It's like the kernel, to use a little technical or technological, I suppose, analogy. It's like the kernel for a new operating system. It's like going from being a Mac to being a PC. Although, when you're going from a non-Christian to becoming a Christian, it's more appropriate to say you'd be going from a PC to a Mac. (laughs) That's my bias coming out. But it is kind of like that. It's like this new kernel. And the kernel, or the, the kind of the foundation of Windows, the way it looks technologically, is incredibly different from the kernel or the foundation of the Mac OS 10 point, blah, 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 right? It's very, very different. But you go from operating one, on one system of life to operating on another system of life. Paul says the love of Christ controls us. It's what holds us together. It's what constrains our actions, controls our thoughts, and compels us, compels us to love. And because of this, it informs every decision and finds its way into every nook and cranny of my life. Now, what does that look like? How do you know that you're being more and more controlled by the love of Christ and less and less controlled by the love of you? Well, I want to throw a couple of questions out, and I hope these are helpful to you, but just to ask you to measure yourself against these types of questions. Are you able to confront and have hard conversations in such a way that the other person feels your affection and your kindness for them as well as your candor and your honesty? Are you gaining in your ability to listen and to ask, is there something I can do for you? rather than bark out orders and bark advice to someone who's confused or struggling? Or is there a deepening desire in you to be unnoticed, to decrease in your your, your need to matter? Is there a deepening desire to love kindness and to love being kind for the sake of other people? Are you gaining in your ability to move toward others and their burdens and seek to relieve them even if and when they seem like a bottomless pit of need? Are you comfortable with disappointing and even angering people such that you might lose their relationship? And if the movement of your life is not increasingly in directions like these, then maybe you aren't yet a Christian. Maybe you aren't convinced of the gospel's truth. Maybe you aren't being controlled by the love of Christ. Now, we've seen the need, how the need fulfills the design, what's the means for uh, getting reconciled to God. It is through the gospel, through the work of Jesus Christ himself, the result of that being that the love of Christ controls us. But when I'm controlled by the love of Christ, Paul goes on to say that that unites me to Jesus in his mission. So look specifically uh, at verses 18, 19, and then moving into verse 20 there. Uh, and that's where we're going to spend uh, the last time, uh, last bit of time we have. If the Apostle Paul's life is any evidence, then being controlled by the love of Christ is going to result in a life of mission. We have said this in a myriad of ways over the last uh, few years in the life of this church, but we really do believe that the love of Christ controlling you 
moves you toward mission. Now, how do verse, uh, verse, verses 18 and 19 flow into verse 20? Well, Paul says there, verse 18, all this, that is all that he's been talking about to that point, all that God has done is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. And then he goes on, almost to restate it. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God in Christ, through Christ, is reconciling the world to himself. And remember, God does the reconciling. He's the offended party. But isn't it amazing that we who are at fault in breaking the relationship, in what was once united, having to be reunited, that's our fault. Isn't it interesting? Left to ourselves, we'll never move toward him. The Bible's very clear about that. We love operating life on our owner's manual. We don't like his. We have to be supernaturally changed from the inside out to begin to love his owner's manual. That's why when we read about Jesus, we look at his life, we look at the way he behaved and acted, we think, what a weirdo. Because what is normal for Jesus is abnormal for us, and what is normal for us is abnormal to Jesus. So, Paul's very clear. God does the reconciling. He's the offended party. We're at fault. But in turn, as he reconciles us to himself, he gives his people, he entrusts to them a ministry of reconciliation. And because he has given that to us, we become his ambassadors. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, what did Paul have in mind, this idea of ambassador? You think about an ambassador today. Today, an ambassador of the United States in another country really has authorization to speak on behalf of the United States. He represents, he or she represents the United States. They speak for the president. In the first century ambassadors, and the idea in Paul's mind, is more along the lines of someone who went into the enemy camp. If you have two opposing armies, they would always kind of camp here, camp here, you've got this field or this gap in between them. And the ambassador, his job was to go into the enemy camp, across the lines, and give the enemy the terms of peace on behalf of their king. They, like an ambassador today, was authorized to speak for their country, for their king, for their, uh, for their president, as if the king himself were speaking. But they were unarmed. They never carried a gun, a spear, a shield, a weapon of any sort. All they had was a word of their king. Uh, now, contrast that today with U.S. ambassadors who have Marines that typically guard embassies around the world. But ambassadors for Christ, according to Paul, have only one thing, and that is the word of their king. Many times, as a result of that, they were slaughtered because the enemy king wanted to send a message back to the king who sent 
the ambassador, you're not taking my land, you're not conquering me, no sir, not having it. But Paul says, if you are a Christian, then you are an ambassador of Jesus, and that the king is making his appeal through you, his terms of peace are, look there in verse 20, be reconciled to God. In fact, he says to the Corinthians, as if to say to them, as the church, this is part of your role as an ambassador, is to implore people on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Unless you surrender now and are reconciled to our king, he will destroy you. Be reconciled now while the terms are peaceful because he is a kind and a good king and his kingdom is one full of kindness and goodness. Don't you want to come and be reconciled to him and join into his kingdom? In fact, he offers reconciliation to you through the death of his son. But make no mistake, the time is coming when the terms will not be peaceful. The king will come again to make war and to subdue his enemies. And at that point, it will no longer be be reconciled to me through the death of my son. It will be your life because of your rebellion. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I have to, I'd be very remiss and irresponsible. If I did not, as Christ's ambassador, implore you this morning, be reconciled to God. Jesus died for you. Paul says it here. I'm just repeating Paul. To set you free from the tyranny of living for yourself and your sinful desires. He died so that you could live. He died for you so that you might have true life. Eternal life. Today. And really live. But also love. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So being united to Jesus results in being an ambassador for him. Remember, you have died. Just to rehash the last four or five weeks, you've been raised and are seated with him. You are holy and dearly loved. You're now a slave to righteousness if you are in Jesus Christ. He owns you. He owns you. Your submission is to Jesus Christ, means that your life's mission goes where? The subway is where? The ground, kids. Under the ground. Your submission to him means your life's mission goes under his. He's the boss. He's the master. So the job description for an ambassador is, as we've been describing, all of life is cross-shaped or we're entering into the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as a Christian, the job description of an ambassador is a willingness to die, sometimes physically, as in the case of missionaries who might go to an unreached people in a restricted access country where the threat of execution for sharing the gospel or proselytizing is is very real. Offering the terms of peace from King Jesus in that situation may very well result in your death. And many missionaries have died throughout the years as a result of that. But sometimes the death might be more figurative. As in the case of a relationship where in order for reconciliation to happen, my pride and my commitment to being right might have to die. I might have to lose. Maybe lose the argument. But if it results in being reunited to the other person, that's a death I'm willing 
to undergo. Or, on the other hand, maybe death is risking the other person's love, the other person's good graces in order to honestly share a concern for them about a sin that's in their life. Maybe physical, it may be figurative. But make no mistake, the job description is a willingness to die. So the questions follow. To whom or to where is God calling you to be an ambassador? What situations, what people do you need to implore to be reconciled to God? We desire that this church be you know, an evangelistic church. Be a church full of people who are in the community calling their neighbors, their friends, their coworkers, their community to repentance and faith, imploring them to be reconciled to God. But not only that, the ministry of reconciliation extends to the community of faith. And so where, with whom, do you need to pursue reconciliation? Is there a relationship or a situation where God is currently asking you to offer the ministry of reconciliation to another person. Paul is saying here that being joined to Christ and his mission means you walk right into the enemy camp because you are controlled by love and you appeal for reconciliation. Now, the enemy camp is simply any place that's controlled or under the dominion of Satan. And so while that certainly may be an unreached people group on the mission field somewhere, it could also be a relationship. We're calling someone with a heart that's full of bitterness or envy or hatred or sexual immorality or fear back to God. We are his ambassadors because we are ministers of reconciliation. So this morning you see the communion table in front of you. And I want to say this as we come to it. This is reconciliation in full color display. Yes, I'm going to use another tech analogy, but it's like this so-called retina display of the iPad or the iPhone. It's just so clear. It doesn't get any clearer, the reconciliation that God offers you through Christ, doesn't get any clearer than this table. Jesus' body broken and his blood shed, his death so that you can truly live for others in the pattern that Jesus lived. And part of the mystery, as Drew's mentioned in the last couple of weeks, that it's a sense of it's a mystical union. It's mysterious. We don't quite understand what it all means. But part of it is that Jesus promises when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we, we're nourished. We get the energy and the nutrients we need. We get a deeper sense of the love of Christ controlling us because we are tasting life because he tasted death. We are more convinced in light of this table. And so God has given us a ministry of reconciliation, calling those in need of Christ to be reconciled to him. And in Christ, in the church, he's also made us a community of reconciliation to one another. So as we come to this table, I want to pray. And uh, musicians will come back up here. Let's pray that he makes us this kind of community of faith that offers the message uh, to those outside and offers the message to one another. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, as we do come to this table this morning, uh, we pray and we ask that you would make very real to us the reality of our being reconciled to you by your body broken and your blood shed. That is the only way 
that it is possible to be reunited to our maker. And yet, at the same time, you have created a people informed by that truth who become agents and ministers of reconciliation among one another. And so we pray that you would make us as a church, as your people, uh, ministers of reconciliation to one another, in addition to uh, our community and those who do not yet know you, that we would be ambassadors who implore on behalf of you, be reconciled to God. So Lord Jesus, come by your spirit and continue to make these truths more and more real to us and continue, especially as we get this full color display of your body broken and your blood shed in front of us. Continue to come. Make these truths more and more part of us so that we would go out and be ministers of love and reconciliation to our world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you would stand each month when we take the Lord's Supper, we say the Apostles' Creed together. So we're going to do that before we take communion together. So I would ask this question and we'll respond by saying the creed. Christian, in an age of unbelief, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, Amen. Real fast, uh, we will be having the ski party, just a reminder, 4 o'clock. If you don't know where Josh and Heather live, their address is in the worship folder, I think in a couple of places. So you can map quest it or GPS it or call somebody and find out where it is. But love to have... Sorry? Ask Bart. Ask Bart. (laughs) He knows where it is. Um, But that'll be from 4 to 8. You're all more than welcome to come. Please come out and uh, and join us in that. Uh, I'm sending you off with this benediction... Uh, very much as another source of energy, food, uh, confirmation that as you go, God goes with you uh, to accomplish the work that he has set before us uh, in this place, among each other, and in our community and world. So receive the benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.